Well, I don't know. The list of things going on in this world seems to get longer and crazier, doesn't it? I mean, a few months ago, we were talking about these hurricanes hitting our country or earthquakes in other parts of the world, uh, a mass shooting in Vegas, and then this last week, Sunday, people going to church and a mass shooting where 26 die. I'm sure that it's raised a lot of questions. Isn't the church supposed to be the safe place? Isn't that where people go to worship God? And why wasn't God protecting them? What is going on? Is there no place that is safe? Not even where God can reach in and save? And so it raises some questions like, is God really in control? That such a thing would happen not just to good people, but even God's people? Throughout the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is given visions of things that will happen in the future of the world. And there's some pretty disastrous, even frightening things that are happening, including conflict, war against God's people. But throughout that book, there's also a consistent message that God is triumphant. And so are his people. Today we want to look at one passage, one section from that book as we continue with this theme of victorious living in the end times. And the reason we will be assured that we can live victoriously in these end times is simply this. It's because our God reigns. Now, while the book of Revelation is filled with a lot of troubling events of things that will happen in this world and even happen to God's people, consistently throughout the book, there are these scenes in which John is taken to heaven and he sees the Lord reigning victoriously. In fact, as the door to heaven is open, that's the first scene and message John gets. Here it is. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the world. He went and took the scroll from the hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. 
And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. A few years ago, there was a popular book followed by a movie entitled Heaven is for Real. And it was the account of a little boy that supposedly had gone to heaven and had seen relatives he never knew before and had seen God. And then God permitted him to come back to earth and tells his story. Now people have asked me, Pastor, what do you think about that book? What do you think about that story? Is it for real? And I say, you know, I don't know. But I do know this. Heaven is for real. Not because of this little boy's story, but because God says so. You see, I'll trust the words of God over the words of any human any time. And God has made it clear to us, heaven is for real. As God lets us peek into heaven and into the future through the book of Revelation, he reminds us of this one strong, important, and comforting truth. Our God is victorious. He reigns. And because he reigns, we reign. And that scene that we just heard about in Revelation depicts for us three ways in which we demonstrate that God reigns and we along with him. The first is simply this. Through our worship, we can express that truth that God reigns. When that scene opened, the first thing John saw was the throne of God and a crystal sea of glass. And around that throne were four living creatures, which were the cherubim angels, all depicted with various strengths and, and abilities that we see in nature. And around those cherubim angels were 24 elders, 12 no doubt representing the Old Testament tribes of Israel, depicting all the believers of God in the Old Testament, and 12 depicting the New Testament disciples, representing all believers from the New Testament. So in other words, all believers of God are there gathered around the throne, and they are worshiping God. And what they're telling us is about his power. There's a lot of demonstrations of power in the book of Revelation. Earthquakes and storms, disasters, the forces of evil creating trouble and disasters and fighting against God's people. But we also hear how God is above all of that, how God is overpowering all of that. He is called the Lord God Almighty. There is no one or anything that has the power like our God. That song of the believers called him the creator of all things. Well, if you're the creator of all things, it means you have more power than all the things you created. You control it. 
That's exactly what they were singing about and praising God for. His power and authority over all the world. What the angels and the saints were doing in heaven is exactly what we should be doing here on earth with our worship. Singing about the power and the authority and the rule of our God. That's what our song should focus on. God. Now, I know sometimes that people will uh, evaluate or critique worship services based on what they felt about them. You know, were the songs good? And aren't our songs always good? <laughs> Are, were the songs good? Did they move me? Was the sermon something I really needed to hear? Did it give me the guidance and encouragement I needed for this life? Now, we want the songs to be good. We want the message to really touch you and be important to you. But let's also remember that worship is not about me, it's about thee. It's about God first. Talking about his grace, his power, his compassion. And when we talk about those things, then we too will find we have been strengthened and comforted in our life. But worship is first about God. So in this crazy world that we live in, Let's focus on our God who overpowers everything and have that strength and encouragement that we need. And then see how that plays out in our life. We call that God's providence, where his power works for our good in our life. The angels and the saints identified God as the one who was and who is and who is to come. In other words, they're talking about our God being eternal. Those elders then take their crown, which would maybe depict them as, you know, ruling people, and they lay it before the throne of God, acknowledging his reign over all. And then, in fact, they say this, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What they're doing is connecting the eternalness and the power of our God with what he wants for us and what he does in our lives. You know, you and I um, make plans a lot for a lot of different things. We might be planning, you know, what our day is going to be like. We, we're planning for special events. We plan for trips. And sometimes those plans change, maybe because we decide to do something else or something intervenes and interrupts what our plans were. So our plans are always fluid. They're always changing. But God's plans do not change. God's plan from the beginning, from before the world was created, was always that he would intervene to save us, that he would bring a savior into the world who would live and die and rise for us. And God kept that plan. He sent his own son into the world to be our savior. God's plan was that we would be saved not by anything we could do or, or prove ourselves to be to God, but simply through trusting in his work. And God kept that plan. God gave us faith through revealing this, through the scriptures his plan, his love for us. 
God's plan does not change. And just as that plan of salvation doesn't change, so that means the plans he has for you and me also do not change. Paul, St. Paul, assures us of God's power working in our life with these words from, uh, from Ephesians. He says, The power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for you, the church. You know, we don't always see what God is doing. We don't always know how God is working things. Or why. But one thing is crystal clear, and that is his promise to us. He works in all things for our good. Whether it's something that's happening on the other side of the world, or something that's happening around us and we don't even know what it is, or something that's going on in my own life that maybe I know about it, maybe I don't, God knows and is in control and is working all of that for my good. That's what he promises. But sometimes people have the question about that evil in the world. Doesn't that create a problem then with your loving, powerful God? Why does evil happen? And why do bad things happen to good people? And why do bad things happen to God's people? Now we can't give an answer for every event that happens in the world, but we can assure you of this. God is not the source of evil. He cannot be. It's impossible for him to be because he is a holy God. The reason there is evil in this world, it's man's fault. God has allowed us a free will by which we can choose to obey him or not. And oftentimes we don't. The evil that's in this world is a result of man's choice, not God's working. The book of Revelation depicts the evil that goes on in this world. The conflict that's against God's people in this world. But in it, God always wins. In fact, God can use that evil in his plan to even bless us. During the week, our faculty gets together on early Thursday morning and we have a, a weekly devotion. We're reading through a devotion book for uh, servants of God. And in the uh, devotion that we had this past week, and I told the teachers, I, I really like that. I think I'm going to use this little story. The guy was telling about how he and his wife went to a, a sacred choir concert. And uh, the composer of one of the songs even directed the choir in the song. And the audience was really moved, and they applauded for the song. But at the end of the song, the composer turns around and he goes, uh, would you mind if we do that song again, because I know we can do it better. Now, how often do you go to a concert, right, and the people are excited by it, and the conductor says, you know, we're going to do it again because we can do it better. 
But the author of that devotion said, you know, sometimes I wish I could do that with my sermons. Where I could say to the people, you know, I, I think I could do it better. Would you mind if I repeat it? I, I won't put that before you today. But here's my point. Sometimes maybe we're not giving God our best in our worship. So right at the very start, we've got to have the right focus. Do you remember the, uh, the story of Dr. Doolittle, Doolittle, the guy who could talk to animals? He had one, uh, one unique animal called a push-me-pull-you. Two llamas joined together with two heads and two front paws, and uh, they each wanted to go in their own direction. And sometimes they'd be working against each other, and sometimes they would just have to stand still because they couldn't move. I think sometimes that's what goes on with that spirit inside of us. Uh, we, we have all these wonderful blessings from God, and we get so attracted by them that we become distracted from God. We let them interfere with our worship life. And sometimes that even happens within our worship, where we say, I want to know what I'm going to get out of going to church instead of what am I going to give when I go to church? Am I going to be talking about and reflecting on that grace and that power and that love and compassion of God? Am I going to hold that up and praise God for that? You see, that's what worship is. Worship is about expressing the worth of God. And who of us has not experienced that worth? Let's pause and let's sing this beautiful song that reminds us of praising God. There is a higher throne.
What a beautiful song. We sang that in the first service, too. And after the service, one of the ladies said to me, Pastor, I want that song sung at my funeral. (laughs) And I said, well, I hope it's going to be a few years off. But you see, a person moved by the promises of God just wants that to be heard. How important is your faith to you? I know how important other things can be to us because we're always talking about them or doing them, right? After the church, when you're all back there talking, you're going to be talking about your jobs, what's going on with your kids, what your plans are, all sorts of things, because that stuff's important to you. And I know this is important to you also because you're in here wanting to talk about God. And that's what the saints were pointing out for us. Our God reigns, so let's exclaim it in our witnessing, in our conversations. Here's what they pointed out. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. What the saints wanted to exclaim was simply this, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. You see, when that vision of heaven opened up, the first thing, one of the first things John saw after he saw the throne was that lamb. A lamb that looked like it had been slain. Now throughout the Bible, God was telling us that a payment had to be made for our sins. A sacrifice had to be offered up. But that sacrifice wouldn't be us. We couldn't lose our life. We could never pay for our sins. But he would provide a substitute sacrifice. And he pictured that with a lamb. And throughout that Old Testament worship then, lambs were sacrificed to show that life would come through the shedding of blood. Jesus, the Son of God, came to be that sacrifice for us. Jesus is the Son of God, proven by words and works. He is the Son of God who came to live perfectly for us, to lay down his life as an atonement for our sins, and to rise from the dead to give us eternal life. And that's what the saints are saying. That's why they say, You are worthy to take that scroll and to open it. And by that, they were simply saying, Jesus, you are the sovereign ruler of the world. That scroll contained all the events then that Revelation would talk about, all the events in the history of the world. Jesus was worthy to open it, to control it. Jesus was worthy to reveal it, to make it known. Jesus opens it And lets it happen because he is the one who owns the people of this world. And by it, he will save us. In our conversations, our witnessing, we need to simply first trust that Jesus knows and controls everything that goes on in order to save us even when things don't seem right in this world. And they're not always right. There is evil in this world. 
but we can still know that God knows and controls all things. And because he reigns, he wins. And because he wins, we win. That's the message we can exclaim in our worship and in our witnessing. To simply let people know through what we say and how we live that our God reigns and we will be saved. Yesterday, our visiting team went up to the prison to do ministry and I had the opportunity to work with a guy who was new to our ministry and you know after I talk about his life and how he ended up in prison and all that stuff then I get to the more serious stuff and I asked him you know well tell me about your spiritual life and he said pastor I, I don't have any religion I really don't know about or believe in God and I said oh, okay and I said but I believe that you are in here for a reason. And he goes, oh yeah, I am. I need to change my life. And I said, well, there's something more than just serving time in prison and all these wonderful programs here that are going to change your life. And pointed to the inmate across the table from us who we've been working with for four years. And I said, you want to talk about a changed life? You, you look at what happened in that guy's life who did not know God and who was a, a tough, mean guy, and now he's the gentlest guy who in his behavior and in his character is just this wonderful man. And he will tell you the difference was made by knowing God. You see, we just need to let people know because the message we have is life-changing. The message we have is life-saving. You know, political stuff social reform movement, save the environment, all good stuff, but it can't save you. We've got the one thing that saves, and we have the privilege to exclaim it. I, I read a study this past week that said two-thirds of Americans believe that, that God accepts the worship of all religions. But what was really disturbing, it went on to say, 48% of Christians believe that God accepts the worship of all Christians. And that's not right. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And only through him do we come to the Father. And that just means that we have to be very consistent in our message and very clear to this world that it's Jesus who saves and he is the way to eternal life. Well, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about changing people's lives and changing this world? It's through exercising the reign of God through our acts of service. Listen how the elders finish their song. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. God has made us to be a kingdom of priests. Now, in the Old Testament, God had a group of people who were called priests. Through the priests, the people could come to God with their worship, and through the priest, God would bring the blessing of his word to the people. Well, now you and I are those priests. We can all go directly to God with our prayers and with our worship, all blessed by the fragrance of Christ's love. And God has chosen us to be his instruments to come to the world 
with his blessing through the word. And that's how we reign. During St. John's day, Christians were persecuted. They were arrested. Their property was confiscated. They were put in jail. They were thrown to lions. They were crucified. And yet through John's book said, you reign. Today, the church is challenged and there's conflict against the church and our message is rejected, but God still says to us, you reign. How do we reign? Because we have the authority of his word, that word of truth that declares God's love and forgiveness to all people. That's how we reign. What a privilege. What an honor it is that you and I are ambassadors for God, representing Christ, so that we can connect people to Christ. The world is listening. The world is looking for peace and understanding. But they don't want the peace that God offers. They don't want the understanding that God gives. But that's the truth. And we have that message of truth. So let's be bold to exclaim it and to exercise it through our acts of worship. We have great opportunities for that coming up this month, right? This is the holiday season, starting with Thanksgiving. And it's Thanksgiving. It isn't just be thankful and, and have a feast of food and family and friends and football. It's Thanksgiving, an opportunity for us first to give thanks to God. And when people ask us, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Or how was your Thanksgiving? Say, it was great. I gave thanks to God for my blessings. And then we have the whole month of December focused on Christmas. And Christmas isn't first about presents and parties and pretty decorations. It's Christmas. It's Christ first. Our opportunity to proclaim him as the savior of the world and the sovereign ruler. We have great ways to do that here at church. Through our Christmas for kids and through our live nativity. And go and sign up for those things at that Christmas tree that we put up in the back there to let people know here's the opportunity to take some time and to put some effort out and proclaim Christ. The world is watching. The world's listening and wants answers. We have it. How to live victorious in these last times. God reigns. Amen.